We've got a lot of work to do, and we can only do a lot of it in a bipartisan basis. Does that mean we all agree? No. Does it mean that we have enough agreement that we can get overall support? Yes, and we have done it before, and we can do it again. And that's what the American people expect of us. That was the voice of late Senator John McCain, who, after a long battle with brain cancer, passed away on Saturday, August 25th. On today's episode, we are commemorating his life and his legacy. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez, joined by Ron Hansen and Maria Paletta. Welcome to The Gaggle. been blessed for so long to play a role in our nation's affairs that I'm conscious only of the debt I owe America. Born into a family of Navy admirals, McCain was a third-generation Naval Academy graduate. He served as a pilot in Vietnam, where he was shot down and tortured as a prisoner of war for five and a half years. He returned home in 1973 and continued to serve his country through politics. He ran for President of the United States twice once in 2000 and again in 2008. Despite our differences, much more unites us than divides us. We are fellow Americans, and that's an association that means more to me than any other. McCain served two terms in the House of Representatives and six terms in the U.S. Senate. That it is an honor to serve the American people in your company. Thank you. John McCain died at 4.28 p.m. Saturday at the age of 81 after a year-long battle with brain cancer. His wife and other family members were by his side. On Friday, his family had announced that he chose to end medical treatment. Ron, what have the past few days looked like? This has really been um, a, a day that everyone knew was coming. The family had come together. Megan had indicated last week that she wanted to be close to home. Um, one of their sons is coming in from overseas deployment and obviously the political world has um, already been reacting since the news Friday that they were ending any uh, further treatment. So this is something that uh, folks have been stealing themselves for some time and, and I think that there's been uh, a lot of interest in how best to uh, mark John McCain's passing from those who obviously uh, think very highly of him. We've heard for several days now from some of his closest uh, friends and some of his former campaign aides uh, that plans had been put in motion and these were plans that none of them wanted ever to see put in motion but um, it became very clear I think over the past 48 hours that um, people had jobs to do. They flew in from uh, out of state to uh, help assist in the planning of what needed to come next. Part of those conversations included Governor Doug Ducey. Maria, uh, you cover the governor. What has he said about his friend and uh, colleague John McCain? 
Yes, the governor has made a couple of statements now um, really focusing on this idea that Senator McCain was an American hero, that even though he was an Arizona transplant, he really helped shape this state. He's talked about McCain's spirit of service and civility and really emphasized this idea of going beyond partisan politics and, and doing what was right even when it wasn't the most popular decision. The governor um, and his wife, Angela, had visited uh, John and Cindy McCain back in May and in, I believe, both of the governor's statements, he mentioned that both his and his wife's prayers um, and hearts would be with the whole McCain family. In the past few months, I've talked with many of John McCain's close friends and former employees who shared a lot of uh, personal stories about what they loved about him and what made them really frustrated about him. Um, here's some of the best things that, that they told us. This is Max Foes. He started working with McCain as an intern back in 1992. He was hired a year later and then he helped uh, John McCain with his first presidential race. One of the things I remember is between New Hampshire and South Carolina, and there was a, a weekend where, you know, we really thought John McCain would win the presidency. And I remember he went out and bought a new car, and he went driving for a little bit just so he could, you know, because if he were to win, he would never drive again in his life because he'd have secret service protection. So he went out and driving, and it, and it was just a, like, it was a, a moment where we all thought, wow, we could win this thing, and Senator McCain could win this thing. And it was just a, a fun moment that you look back and you don't realize the importance of it. Grant Woods, who is a longtime McCain friend and his former chief of staff, told me about one of McCain's strongest personality traits. He's, just, he's a restless guy, so he turned the page quicker probably than most, including his campaign people and his friends. We're like, oh man, you know, he's like, oh, okay, let's go. And you, you saw, you know, he immediately got right back in the, the action. But he's, he's not one to sit around and be morose. It's difficult. It's difficult just to talk about for me and with him because he's not, uh, he really doesn't like to go there, okay? Um, he's a very sentimental person and very emotional, but it's, he keeps it inside. He tries to anyway. Chris Mays, a former political reporter for the Arizona Republic, covered McCain's 2000 presidential race. I, I cried the moment I saw him come out on the floor of the Senate and give the thumbs down because I just thought, wow, that is, that is an amazing moment in American history. And talk about the impact that one man will have on the futures of millions of people, including some of my own family members. I mean, I have family members on Obamacare, and you know, when you think about the fact that some this guy may have saved the life of one of your own family members, um, you know, it's emotional, and um, I, I just think we're losing something that is extraordinary. She had a lot of really thoughtful things to say about him and and what that straight talk express looked like, but. She really summed up why McCain's last few months were so powerful. A lot of people have talked about what an extraordinary loss this is, not just for Arizona, but for the world. Ron and Maria, what are some of the other things that people have said uh, since news of his death? 
Well, earlier today, his wife, Cindy McCain, tweeted um, that her heart was broken. She said, I'm so lucky to have lived the adventure of loving this incredible man for 38 years. He passed the way he lived on his own terms, surrounded by the people he loved in the place he loved best. His daughter, Megan McCain, uh, we've watched her cope with her father's diagnosis over the past 13 months through social media. Um, she's made a lot of statements on The View. We've seen Vice former Vice President Joe Biden comfort her. Um, she wrote a just heart-wrenching um, statement about her father, and this is a portion of it. She said, his love and his care, ever-present, always unfailing, took me from a girl to a woman, and he showed me what it is to be a man. She was married uh, before she had planned to be married last November so that her father could walk her down the aisle. She added, all that I am is thanks to him. Now that he is gone, the task of my lifetime is to live up to his example, his expectations, and his love. About an hour after McCain's death, President Donald Trump uh, issued a tweet. He noted, our hearts and prayers are with you, and his campaign also issued a statement Saturday noting that uh, we encourage all Americans to take the opportunity to remember Senator McCain and his family in their prayers on this sad occasion. We also heard from former presidents. Um, we heard from former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton, um, presidents from both parties. Uh, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush were all paying their respects. Their comments were shared um, pretty widely on social media. Former President Barack Obama also issued a statement. Uh, he noted, among other things, all of us can aspire to the courage to put together the greater good above our own. At John's best, he showed us what that means, and for that, we are all in his debt. His seatmate, U.S. Senator Jeff Flake, wrote a, a pretty lengthy statement honoring uh, McCain's life and legacy. He talked um, about how McCain really taught him the value of standing alone to do what's right. He says that early in his career in the House of Representatives, he managed to make a lot of people back here, back home, angry um, by challenging funding for a number of spending projects, pork, pork spending. He says he was feeling pretty down, and he was wondering to himself if he was doing the right thing. And in the midst of this kind of inner you know, back and forth with himself on a flight back home to Washington, McCain, quote, made his way back to my seat with a stern look on his face. Oh, no, I thought, not him, too. But instead, he uh, stuck a finger in Flake's chest and said, don't back down. You're on the right. They'll come around. And Flake said that was all he needed to muster up the steel to uh, stand his his ground against the, you know, very vocal and and powerful people who were on the other side of the argument. McCain leaves a legacy. He tackled a lot of big issues during his senatorial career. Ron, what is his legislative legacy? It's an impressive one in terms of the issues that he had tackled. Clearly, he had an appetite to take on big issues, uh, didn't shy away from uh, the matters that were, you know, at, at the fore uh, during his tenure. In terms of their durability, that's something that we'll only see in, in the years to come. He's probably best known for his efforts on campaign finance reform, uh, partnering with Democratic Senator Russ Feingold from Wisconsin. Uh, John McCain really spent years pushing for 
something intended to take the corrosive effects of big money out of American politics. This is something that culminated with passage of the McCain-Feingold campaign finance reforms during the Bush administration and seemed to be, you know, sort of the crowning victory of his legislative career, only to see the Supreme Court really sort of cut into that in terms of its impact with the 2011 decision on Citizens United. So it's something of a mixed bag on that front. He also went after comprehensive immigration reforms, uh, sometimes to his political detriment. He created a lot of grief for himself by addressing that issue, um, even as he had higher office in mind. This is something that um, he could have taken an easier path by kicking the can down the road, leaving that work to others. Ultimately, that did not come to be. And that's a disappointment to him and to the others who worked on it. But again, I think it's a measure of John McCain's earnestness as a lawmaker that he did not back away from an issue that could have cost him politically. It did create a rough ride in, in winning the nomination in 2008. But uh, I think it told us something about where his heart was and where his political instincts were as well. There were other things he did on uh, campaign on uh, tobacco, for example, going after the big industry on that, working on veterans issues as well. But I think in at the end of the day, probably the the final uh, most consequential vote of his career was the health care vote in uh, a year ago in 2017. This is about a month after he's been diagnosed with brain cancer, and he makes his way to the well of the floor for this midnight vote with um, the fate of the Affordable Care Act really hanging in the balance. And you, you have this sort of amazing confluence of things that this tremendous legislation from his political rival, Barack Obama, his signature legislative achievement is uh, coming down to essentially John McCain's vote. And you also have John McCain uh, dealing with the current president, Donald Trump, who he has had many uh, episodes of, of um, frustration, anger, and controversy. And you also have McCain sort of uh, donning once again the crown of the Maverick. And with the dramatic thumbs down, uh, McCain saved the Affordable Care Act. It probably preserved health care for 20 million people uh, with that thumb. And it's probably the most memorable vote any of us can remember in a generation for sure and will be remembered as part of his legacy as much as anything else. Can you give us a sense of how McCain fit into the Republican Party in his final years? I mean, we talk about his efforts on immigration reform, um, which really set off a wing of the Republican Party locally here in Arizona and really complicated his, real, his final reelection bid in 2016 complicated his efforts for the presidency in 2008 and led to a censure by the state party. I think that's something that, that folks, you know, as they're um, memorializing him and remembering the icon that he is, that he was, tend to forget. Yeah, you're never a prophet in your own land, right? Uh, John McCain really, in a way, probably more than anybody else in in the House or the Senate in, in recent years has been sort of a marker of, of where the Republican Party is. I, and I don't think he moved a, uh, a whole lot. He moved a little, but 
I think his relationship with his party in the last 10 years is sort of an indicator of what has happened with Republican politics um, more broadly. He, as you noted, uh, very nearly missed his shot in 2008 because of his work on immigration reforms. He did win the nomination, and the party and, and all its supporters fell into line and, and were uh, eager to see him defeat Barack Obama. Obviously, that didn't happen. And part of the response to Obama's election was the uh, Tea Party movement and the, the growing backlash that really came into full flower in 2010. John McCain was up for re-election in 2010, and sensing and reacting to the more conservative winds that were blowing uh, at that time, especially here in Arizona, uh, really leaned in hard on the, uh, the idea of stepped-up border security and, and memorably cut a commercial noting that we need to build the danged fence. And that rhetoric, when you get to his next election campaign in 2016, contrast with Donald Trump, who uh, was not talking about a fence. He wanted the wall and thundered about it and really sort of um, swept up all the oxygen in, in Republican politics and pointedly had insulted John McCain uh, for his being captured in Vietnam. And McCain really sort of, you know, was careful in the way that he ran parallel to Donald Trump at the same time, only to see you know, that uncomfortable relationship really just kind of split in public view once Donald Trump took office. We also saw McCain really serve as the voice of many Republicans, many Americans who didn't really want to say it publicly, um, really kind of lighting into, into Trump for, for his relationship and his treatment of Russian President Vladimir Putin, who who's country and whose intelligence agency is accused of meddling with Trump's elections. Um, the senator, you know, was chairman of the you know, Armed Services Committee. This is a very weighty, mighty committee. He was, uh, he had access to vast amounts of intelligence information. He knew the threats outside, that, that this country faced outside of this country. Can you give us a sense of how those warnings were heeded or not heeded and, and how he was viewed on the world stage? Yeah, John McCain was really almost, uh, you know, sort of an ex officio secretary of state, it seemed. This is somebody who could walk into any foreign capital and be received as if he were the head of state. Um, he didn't act that way, but he certainly had that kind of clout. He thought about the world and really troubled himself to understand what was driving the hot spots around the world. He was someone who understood the need for a strong military, but also looked at diplomacy and, and tried to understand what was politically possible as well. The confrontations with President Trump over uh, Russian interference in the 2016 elections, again, is sort of this marker of where John McCain is, where the Republican majority seemed to be coalescing, and, and public opinion, really. Uh, John McCain, in many ways, was still kind of a classic Cold Warrior who could not view cooperation and friendship with the Kremlin uh, as anything other than a fool's errand, and really 
was not shy about letting uh, the public know of his many disagreements with the president, who happened to be in his own party on that that issue. And I think, again, sort of underscored and, and solidified McCain's reputation as speaking truth to power, uh, especially where foreign affairs are concerned. So aside from McCain's political accomplishments, he did have a, quite a bit of drama uh, during his long political career, uh, namely the, the Keating Five. And as Dan Nowicki, the longtime political reporter who covered him for, for 20 years, uh, reminds us, he would frequently say when people would talk about uh, his legacy that the Keating Five would be included in, in his obituary, and indeed it, it is. Yeah, it's part of who he is, and it's not entirely bad, though it's pretty bad. Uh, John McCain was part of uh, a group of five senators who took meetings with a, a very influential, important donor at a time when, uh, when that person's finances were uh, being picked over by a regulatory agency. And this is something that led to uh, him being uh, uh, disciplined by the Senate, and this is something that ended a couple of political careers uh, for figures involved in it. John McCain, uh, you know, used this as sort of the uh, the justification for his interest later in campaign finance reform, that he said that, you know, I get it, and, and now I'm an evangelist for better use of, uh, of resources, keeping people at arm's length and, and understanding that, the, you know, political money influences the way people think of things. He also had other issues uh, that, you know, checkered his, his background. He had legendary feuds with the Arizona Republic, and, you know, he voted against the Bush tax cuts in 2001 and 2003, and a lot of people viewed that as sort of a, a snit against the person who defeated him in the 2000 presidential race. I have to say, too, that in many of the interviews that we did with his close friends, um, he couldn't just walk into any foreign capital. That senator could walk into the best bars and the best restaurants in cities and capitals around the world, and the people there, the hosts, the hostesses, the cooks, the chefs, his friends tell stories about how they would come out and greet the senator, and uh, those trips were legendary, and uh, I, I don't really know how uh, those senators will <laughs> be welcomed in the same way that they were under Senator McCain. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, one of the most endearing things about John McCain was his authenticity, that the ability to be the action hero who survives imprisonment in Vietnam and also is the person at the center of a couple of epic presidential runs and and all that is also the guy who could just walk into Starbucks after losing the election the next day and, and yeah, sure, I'll pose for a picture with you. And he's, he's a, a real person, and I don't think he hid that from the public, and, and I think that's part of why he had such wide appeal. John McCain's death ends his political career, but it also means a new beginning for whoever fills his seat. Maria, what happens now when we're taking a look ahead past the services and the tributes, what happens next? Right, so when the time comes, um, McCain's death while in office requires the governor to fill his Senate seat by appointment. 
that's something pretty significant in terms of Arizona history. It's the first time um, that it's actually happened in our whole 106 year uh, history. There are a couple of requirements or limitations there. McCain's replacement has to be Republican, just like McCain was. That person um, must serve at least until the 2020 election. At that point, they could um, try to go for the next two years. Beyond those stipulations, that service time um, and the party requirement, the governor really has a lot of discretion in terms of his pick. He very quickly ruled out last year after the senator was diagnosed himself, um, Governor Ducey, but he's been very quiet otherwise in terms of talking about potential candidates. His staff has called any questions about that disgraceful. Um, no matter who the governor picks, it could have major implications if it's someone who will want to hold on to that seat long term instead of just having sort of a temporary caretaker interim role especially given some of the high-profile fights that we're seeing um, in Washington right now. There's, of course, the contentious Supreme Court nomination in play. There are these growing calls to impeach the president, and this appointment foreseeably could play a role there. You know, I think one of the things uh, to bear in mind with the Supreme Court nomination is that the Republican margins are so thin, and the loss of John McCain throughout the year um, for the GOP has been a, a significant source of uh, frustration for them. Um, he has not voted since December, and obviously his loss now presents an opportunity to fill uh, a seat and add a vote, presumably a friendly Republican vote that will give Republicans a bit more breathing room. And I think Judge Brett Kavanaugh, uh, his prospects were reasonably good to begin with now with the addition of uh, whoever replaces John McCain presumably in time for uh, any vote that will occur on that uh, gives the party a little bit more space to uh, to rest assured it also uh, paradoxically gives Democrats who are in uh, tough re-election mode uh, a little bit more breathing room as well if this is an inevitable nomination I think that it makes it a little easier for some of them to vote yes and, and avoid a, a political football that will be uh, um, uncomfortable for them in the fall. McCain's death also, you know, puts a lot of attention on the governor who is seeking re-election this year, and he doesn't have an easy path. The primary election is Tuesday. Right. So Governor Ducey is expected to get that Republican nomination very easily Tuesday, but after he moves into the general, he's considered to be on little shakier ground. Um, obviously, the Red for Ed teacher walkout somewhat changed the landscape there. It's really called his commitment to public education and public education funding into question. We've heard that a lot from voters over the last few months. Democrats are obviously nationwide using some of these recent controversial Trump administration decisions to build momentum. We're seeing that happening here, particularly with Democratic frontrunner David Garcia. Um, that said, making an appointment, and I'm, I'm basing this on having talked to local and national political analysts and strategists, is now much less politically risky for the governor um, than it would have been if it would have come into play before the end of May. If McCain had resigned before then, it would have been voters uh, who would have decided how to fill his seat this November. And obviously, out, we have outgoing uh, Republican Senator Jeff Flake's seat open as well. 
that would uh, would have been risky for the party given what's going on here and across the nation. Um, as I mentioned before, the governor really hasn't addressed the question of who might have approached him about an appointment already. He has said that anyone who was clamoring for that seat early on had essentially disqualified him or herself by jumping the gun in a way the governor has said multiple times he felt was very inappropriate. So we'll see what happens there. The governor's primary challenger on the right, former Secretary of State Ken Bennett, has tried to rile up the Republican base by invoking Cindy McCain's name as a potential replacement for her husband. Um, her name has been mentioned as someone who might uh, step into uh, her husband's seat until the 2020 election. Do we have a sense as to whether or not that is even possible? Well, legally, sure it's possible. She, she qualifies in that regard. Publicly, she hasn't indicated that she wants this. Privately, there's all kinds of speculation about folks expressing interest in this, and her name is among those that have has been in the rumor mill. I think as a practical matter, uh, it just is unclear that the governor would want to go in that direction. So in a sense, Ken Bennett's campaign you know uh, issue is something of a straw man but it also reflects i think a, a wider anxiety in republican circles and and a political liability to the governor if he doesn't address what that seat will ultimately mean to the party in washington this is an important uh, appointment it will be the measure for the governor in some ways as he's about to face the voters. It's also what he is bequeathing to the Republican Party in Washington. Can they count on somebody from things as consequential as a Supreme Court nominee to something, uh, you know, when the next uh, vote on health care comes along, will they be blindsided by a, uh, the errant thumb? Just before 7 p.m. here in Arizona, Senator John McCain's body was brought from his family's cabin in Cornville to Phoenix. He was accompanied by a motorcade of Arizona Department of Public Safety troopers. Do we know much yet about a funeral or memorial plans here? The governor's office has not shared that publicly. Um, we are hearing, and I know our legislative reporter was hearing as well, that um, many of these plans were being coordinated through the governor's office, but those have not been shared yet. The uh, logistics, I think, will be posted uh, on johnmccain.com, his old campaign website. Uh, we do have word that he will likely lie in state, both here at the state capitol and at the U.S. Capitol in Washington. He likely will have uh, funeral services in both cities as well. Um, his body uh, will be transported uh, from uh, Sky Harbor, uh, we're told, and he will receive uh, the full honors. Uh, he will be buried at the U.S. Naval Academy Cemetery, where he once uh, attended. Um, back in the heydays, class of 1958, that will be a private ceremony. He will be buried near his friend, Chuck Larson, and if you haven't read uh, Dan Nowicki's wonderful um, book, John McCain, An American Story, um, you should. It, it talks quite a bit about the, the two men's exploits back in the naval days. Do we have a sense of um, the dignitaries, uh, the people, friends who might be coming into Arizona to pay tribute to him? This is obviously coinciding 
with a very important consequential Senate election and uh, a potential visit by the president himself. Yeah, I think the, uh, the dignitary list is, um, as you would imagine, it will include heads of state. Um, it will include uh, former presidents. The, the question is whether those folks will make their way to Phoenix uh, as well as Washington or if they will stay in Washington for the, the more uh, you know, national uh, reception that he will get uh, back in the nation's capital. The Arizona version, uh, I would expect to be very heavy with the people who helped him here, who built his political career and sustained him through his six terms in the Senate and touched a lot of lives uh, across this state from those who work in defense or are part of the armed services. Uh, some of the constituents, I'm sure, who just really uh, have come to appreciate the little things that we never write about, frankly, that um, that are also part of a, a senator's duties. So um, I, it will be everything from uh, uh, top shelf names we all know to people who just want to pay their honors. Speaking of people we know, Senator Schumer, uh, a Democrat, says he will introduce a resolution renaming the Russell Senate Office Building uh, in Senator John McCain's name. You have interviewed Senator McCain in that very building. What was he like to interview? You know, I've been a reporter for 26 years. Um, I've had the privilege of interviewing a lot of folks that are fairly prominent in politics and other walks of life. I will say, at the risk of uh, outing myself as something of a McCain aficionado here, that it was it was an honor for me to just be able to chat with him for you know more than an hour uh, last year, um, just to have him sort of open up and, and pot shot on the the political climate, especially at a time that was so tumultuous uh, with the early days of the Trump administration, and um, just have him sort of. Uh, offer his thoughts on, on the world. And, and you got very quickly a sense of why his his personality has been so magnetic for so many people over the years. And it really is one of the, the favorite interviews I've, I've done in my career. I'm, I'm just happy I got to meet him. So I met him for the very first time as a young reporter. I was working a weekend shift. And occasionally when he would fly in and out, uh, they would make media availability for him at the Sky Harbor Airport in like a, a conference room. And I just remember being part of this gaggle and it was absolutely terrifying, right? Because he's just like such a big deal and I had no questions and I think I was sweaty and I, d I didn't know what to say. And he looked at me and he said, well, man, the Republic's sure hiring them young these days, aren't they? <laughs> and I, I don't think I got a question out. I was just terrified. Um, later, during his uh, 2016 general election, I had the honor of moderating a debate with Ted Simons at PBS. And uh, he walked right up to me before he took the stage next to uh, Ann Kirkpatrick, Democrat. And uh, his hands were clammy and they were cold. And I later learned he was nervous. He was probably less nervous than I was, but that was uh, a moment that, that I certainly will never forget in my uh, journalism career. So that's it for today. You can find more coverage on McCain's life and his legacy at azcentral.com. You can also read Dan Nowicki's wonderful book at mccain.azcentral.com.
Thanks for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. We'll see you next time.